I, I call the 90-10 rule. My goal is that my company, for myself, my clients, whatever, that their time is best spent doing the nine, doing that 10% of life that actually matters and the other 90% that they're doing that doesn't matter is either, I follow the ADD principle. You're either automating it, you're delegating it, or you're just flat out deleting it. Um, so I come in and I figure out ways to automate and delegate and I let the client decide if they're gonna delete something. <laughs> You're listening to the Establishing Your Empire show, a podcast that inspires entrepreneurs, creatives, and future business owners to pursue their passions, grow their organizations, and build their empire. My name is Darren Herman, and creatively, I'm best known for my photography. But business-wise, my claim to fame is growing a company from 15K per month in online sales to breaking the $1 million a month barrier. And I'm sitting down with interesting people to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and how they have established their empires. All right, I got Jeff J. Hunter, the savage marketer here on the podcast here with me. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, really appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Uh, why don't we start with just, why don't you give us a background of you know, who you are and, and what you do? Uh, it all probably starts back to where I was before my savage marketing life, um, which was I've always kind of been in the corporate world, the, uh, you know, worked up the corporate ladder, I guess you could say I worked at a computer store, then worked as an IT administrator for a school district. And then I got recruited to, to be an IT project manager for a Fortune 500 company. I did that for four years up in Portland, Oregon. That was really fun. Um, but then I kind of figured out this whole virtual team building thing, which was really exciting and fun. And it's what I did at Philips, which was the, the company that I worked at. But there were just so many different possibilities that I discovered uh, about just building virtual teams. And now that's kind of my passion. My passion is building virtual teams. And then, of course, once I got good at building virtual teams, I said, holy crap, what can I do with all these virtual teams? <laughs> yeah, can I have that? Okay, can I build an engine to do what I want to do, right? Yeah. So then I used the team to do marketing because I, I found out that like that was super easy thing to do uh, is to actually leverage your team to do what most people can't, which is, you know, be present all the time. Which I'm going to be really excited about this conversation. So um, Gobato, the marketing firm that I own, is 100% freelancers. So, uh -huh. so, and I hire everybody from local people here to people in Ind Indonesia, India, Pakistan, all over the place. And I love the time difference that it gives me. Get somebody mm -hmm. going, waking up when you're going to sleep, right? You know, yeah. you, you get a 24 hour cycle or probably even more than that. So, um, why don't we, why don't we, why don't we start with, cause some people might not know what a virtual team, like like a whole lot about that. So maybe give us a little background of like maybe your definition of it or how you see it or why, why it's important to you anywhere you want to go with it. Yeah. I mean, a virtual team is literally that a, a team that, that works for you virtually remotely. And uh, it's become a very interesting catchphrase lately since the cold COVID-19 crisis, because businesses that pretty much didn't have any digital presence and were functioning hundred percent in person obviously just got delivered a huge blow. I mean, unless you were a Costco and you had a flood of people like zombies coming in to, to buy toilet paper, your, your business probably suffered. 
Um, so it's so interestingly enough, I, I mean, when all this stuff happened, I actually had a, a huge influx in business because people came to me and said, Hey Jeff, uh, you know, I know that you are obviously great at building virtual teams. How the heck do I do that for my business? And even digitalmarketer.com had approached me and said, Hey, you know what? A lot of our business owners that do, do marketing would love to learn this. So it's kind of given me a little bit of an opportunity to develop myself as like a thought leader, I guess you could say. So, and how would somebody like, okay, let's just say you're a small company or whatever. How would you get started hiring your first team or person or wherever? How would you get them going? There's a lots. Of, there's a lot of different places to hire virtual teams nowadays. Like there's Upwork and there Fiverr and uh, you know a lot of freelance websites like FreeUp and some other things like that. Um, you know, for me personally, though, uh, you know, I haven't had a whole lot of luck with the freelancers. Um, and I think it stems with something that I've actually called and labeled freelanceritis. <laughs> and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about when I say this. I have an idea where you're going. <laughs> but it, it usually stems from, you know, people once they, you know, a lot of people, they get sold this dream. Because now there's this dream on Instagram. There's a million Instagram influencers, right? And those Instagram influencers, what do they do? They start their Instagram accounts and they basically get famous by traveling the world and telling people how they work for themselves and they're a freelancer, you know, copywriter or a graphic designer or whatever the heck they are, or even virtual assistant. And uh, I mean, so being a freelancer kind of has its own stigma of being free. Yeah, it's a freelancer. Yeah, right. And you can work for right? the beach, right? No and problem. The, pro the problem that that generates, my man, is that a lot of times that also is an absence of accountability. Completely. Or, or knowing how to work without a structure. So That's a, lot a, very... of, a lot of people come from a corporate world and they're like, you know what? I'm pretty good at this, or I've done this before. I, I can do it on my own. Well, it, it gets really hard when you don't have somebody breathing down your neck right next to you. Some people are really good at it. Some people are not. You're absolutely right. And that's a, that's, that, that right there is that's where the cookie crumbles, you know, because uh, at the end of the day, you and I, we both have agencies, and probably the people listening here have agencies, and they want, to serve their clients in the best of their abilities, right? Reliably and consistently and with good quality. And when you have to rely on a freelancer who maybe is just going project to project and isn't dedicated to you, um, that turns into a challenge. So how do you, <laughs> how do you find the good people then? I recruit them. <laughs> I so, figured there had to be something. That was kind of a layup. It was a softball yeah, toss there for you. That's it. I, I, literally, I literally recruit them. And, uh, and that's, that's one of the things that's really important that, I, that I, I truly believe in too, is that you have to have, uh, you have to find people that already kind of do the job or something similar in a vertical, uh, of what you want them to do. Mm -hmm. And that, that really helps out in, well, a number of ways, but like, for example, if I'm going to hire someone to be a virtual assistant for me, for example. Then if somebody's in the call center industry, see, it's already in customer sales and support. It's easier for me to train someone customer service from a BPO industry 
than to train a random, you know, person off the street how to do customer support and be a VA. So I'm actually going, and by the way, the one thing that I'm looking for that you can't train is someone who's reliable, consistent, and has good work ethic. And the only people that have those, my friend, are people that already have jobs. <laughs> right, the trifecta. Pe- 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 people that, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but this is this is a key factor that I want everyone to think about. Most of the time when people are looking for a job, there's a reason why they don't have a job. <laughs> I, I, I assume that to be true. And, and a lot of freelancers, to be, to be fair, are a freelancer because they're in between jobs and they, they need to make money, right? Right. So, right. and there's could be a reason why. Well, there's a lot nowadays of COVID. A lot of people just woke right. up one day and found out that their job wasn't quote unquote essential, right? So when did you start like this whole, so like, it sounds like a whole kind of different arm of what you do or, or how you do it. Like, cause uh, from what I've looked, learned about you online is a lot more of the, you know, the marketing side, the social media side. So with virtual teams, is this because of COVID being kind of front and center or is this something that you've been doing for a long period of time or? I've been, you know, in the corporate world, I mean, I, I built virtual teams and as a project manager, I was basically leading virtual teams working from my home. Um, you know, and by the way, that's another discussion for another day, but you know, it's, it, I think finally the home-based worker, the remote worker finally has a place at the table at corporations. Because I, I agree. And, you know, the thing is, is like, why does, you know, do you really think the best person is always going to be in your city, you know, especially for some hard uh, tasks or projects? Like, I love being able to hire somebody for someplace else because they might have a different perspective that I, I might need. Right. And um, I think that the the that it's now false. It's proven false that you people can't work from home. Like Bingo. there's been too many companies that like said that employees couldn't do it. And obviously they can. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that, that's one of the things that I realized. I mean, when I was working from home as a project manager, I used to get looked at and treated differently than other people at the company because I work from home, you know? And I think there's finally some validity to that. I think that finally people are starting to see that virtual is, is, the way of the future. It's not even the future, it's the present. You know, there's people that have already been doing this. And for a long time, I remember like four years ago when uh, a very popular uh, social media platform, they moved their entire San Francisco office to remote based. And they wrote a blog about it. The CEO got famous because it was such a crazy outlandish idea four years ago. And then coronavirus came and made it, well, a necessity and no longer uh, something that's cute and fun. So what do you see kind of coming out of coronavirus or or however you want to put it, like next six months, year? Like what's what's the future of whether you want to take it with virtual teams or marketing or how people deal with it? However you want to take that. What, what do you see? What's coming up next? I think that there is going to be one of those fork in the road moments where people say, you know, let me give you a good example, and and hopefully my client won't get too upset with me revealing this. But one of my clients, Kathy, she owns a call center in Chicago, and I actually just recently she she actually acquired another call center uh, that's double her size. Well, it's technically the same size, but it has two different offices. So she's negotiating or, or working on something just this year where she's growing her team just huge. 
and she doesn't have a choice. I mean, that's, that's kind of where she's at now. That's, that's what she's working on, you know? Um, and what's, what's really crazy about it is that a call center is literally a call center has a business front, right? And she found out the hard way that maybe, uh, it would be important for her to be able to offer call center services, um, from home. Right. But she didn't have the equipment set up. So I think it's, it's, there's going to be a gut check. And I think that there's three main industries that is going to really affect the most. One of them is education. My son, I don't know about you, but my son, who is seven years old, has been doing Zoom classes with his, with his other classmates. And it's been really interesting to see because he's doing those like two, three hours a day and they're learning and I'm seeing the homework and stuff. And it's kind of made my wife and I, re, you know, reimagine like, should we be homeschooling? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, we are now, you know. Right. You're, yeah. You, you, well, you have to right now, at least. Um, and I think education is going to get a big overhaul and I'm excited about that. Right. Like, you know, I have a niece that wants to learn Japanese. It's like, well, why, why don't we have somebody from Japan to teach her Japanese? (laughs) Like, yeah, especially if, especially if they don't offer it here locally, you know, I think the shared economies of education is way behind the curve. And I really hope that way behind the curve in institutions but places like YouTube is way ahead. Like I learned more on YouTube than I'd probably learned when I went to college. Oh, right. Man. Uh, so and I think if we can merge the two of some of the, you know, uh, old world educations with the new world, I think we could have something really exciting. You know, shout out to Khan Academy too, right? Like, I don't know if you know who Khan Academy is, K-H-A-N, but it's, it's an incredible resource. It teaches all sorts of advanced things. They've kind of made a mission of themselves to, um, to look at higher education differently and not just higher education, but, you know, just education in general. But that's, that's why I said education. I think education's forever changed. The other thing that I believe is going to be, well, it already has is on, you know, retail in general. Like if you don't have a pickup from store or fully digital option, like you've just missed out on a crap ton of business the past couple of months, right? Or if your website was out of date, you know, we've been really busy because of that. Of people that you know, you've been preaching. Hey, we gotta get this. We gotta get this uh, up up to par, you know. Or they've been, you know, they see a lot of other people have nice websites, and if you don't have that now, like you're just you're you're too late. And um, mm-hmm. it is what it is. I mean, I, it's not like this snuck up on us, but the big things is accelerated the the speed of people getting online, buy online. I think a lot of that's gonna stay around too. People are gonna want some of these conveniences of things being delivered or like even I just ordered a sandwich for lunch from a you know pretty mom and pop place but they got a great order deal and I and I don't have it delivered because they're close but I have it pick it up so I don't have to touch don't have to talk to anybody don't have to give anybody money just <laughs> do it on my phone boom in and out um not even don't even have to go I just go to the window uh and I think some of those things are gonna stay past COVID like yeah at the end of the day I don't need to make a relationship with those I just want the I just want my sandwich, right? Yeah. Uh, especially in the middle of the day. So, yeah. um, like that call signer person, like, is that something where you go in there and you help them figure out how to get virtual? Is that kind of the space that you get in? Uh, like, how do you help somebody like that? That's 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 a literally an old world transition to the new world. And how do you help yeah. them? Well, that's where it gets a little complicated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Personally, I was built in to help build the CEO's 
personal brand. And then I kind of got snuck in to also do some outsourcing for the agency. So we've been helping them do some. Now, they're very proud of being a 100% American-based call center. So they only have agents that are American. Now, obviously, a lot of my team are in the Philippines. And uh, I'm super proud about that. And so what my team does is help with a lot of the administrative tasks, right? Like QA and uh, reporting and things like that so that she can keep her team focused on the important piece that they do best, which is American customer service and sales, right? Right. So, so that's what we help her with. We basically offload, I, I call it the 90-10 rule. My goal is that my company, for myself, my clients, whatever, that their time is best spent doing the nine, doing that 10% of life that actually matters. And the other 90% that they're doing that doesn't matter is either, I follow the ADD principle. You're either automating it, you're delegating it, or you're just flat out deleting it. Um, so I come in and I figure out ways to automate and delegate. And I let the client decide if they're going to delete something. <laughs> I, I love the acronym there. That, that uh, that's great. That's one way, uh, great way of remembering that too. So, um, all right. So you kind of talked a little bit about your background, but uh, why don't we dive into to like um, maybe the history of how you got started and um, how did you trans? I think maybe a good spot to start there would be you had corporate positions and how did you leave to start your own thing? Because I think a lot of people. Whew, right now are going to have to do that, forced to do that, or would like to do it. And um, I think a lot of people would be listening to a podcast trying to figure that out, right? How do I, how do I go on my own? Well, you know what? That's funny that you say that because that's a perfect transition. We talked about two different things, but we didn't talk about the third thing that I think the industry is going to change a lot. And that's just entrepreneurship in general. I think entrepreneurship right now is going through a, a very interesting transition. Um, and I think that there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers, just like in everything, right? But uh, I think that corporations are going to be the biggest losers right now um, because people are kind of getting smart, to be honest. Uh, people are getting smart to the bullcrap. They're getting smart to understanding that maybe the corporations don't have their best interest. Um, now, I'm not saying that all corporations are bad, right? I'm not like that. I'm just saying that my personal experience is that when I worked at a company, I found out the hard way that they didn't really care about me. And I think everyone's journey is different. But see, my journey hopefully doesn't sound like your journey. I, if you're listening to this right now, I, I hope to God that what I'm about to tell you isn't what you have to experience. I hope that you don't have to go through the struggles in life working for someone at the rate that I was and have so many things happen to you before you finally say enough is enough. I hope that you pulled the trigger before I did. Um, you know, I, I took the position, I moved up to Portland, Oregon with my six month old, uh, with my six month pregnant wife with our first child for this position to become a project manager and oversee the entire projects for the Pacific Northwest. I became the senior uh, most IT project manager there, Washington, Oregon, Montana, Idaho. And basically I went in and did, and I, I built patient healthcare systems. Um, I had a team of engineers that I managed and, uh, and we did a lot of cool things together, but 
they told me that I'd be able to transfer back home after two years, back to California, after I took care of things up there. Well, three and a half years later, <laughs> you know, my dad gets diagnosed with cancer. And uh, it was stage three, stage four, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's kind of a big deal. Um, and uh, I put in for the transfer and they said, I'm sorry, Jeff, but uh, we don't have anyone to replace you. So I, that was it. My dad was diagnosed, said that they weren't, he wasn't going to probably make it to Christmas um, of, 2016, of, of that year in 2015, wouldn't make it to 2016. It was a pretty rough time in my life. And then, of course, thank God, by the way, I just want to, an update for everybody. My dad is still alive today. And uh, he's not cancer-free. He's got what they call chronic non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So it's, it's going to be in his you know, body the rest of his life. But it's so slow growing. The chemotherapy every six months basically keeps killing it, keeping it at bay, right? Oh. So that's a blessing. Um, but the second piece is that in November of that same year, my grandfather lost 100 pounds and is basically diagnosed terminally ill from something called valley fever. And it's basically a lung infection and it wouldn't go away. And he's 93 years old. So, you know, people kind of told me that stuff was not going right <laughs> and uh, that I should probably give some, him some attention. So November of that, that year, I put in yet again a request, a transfer request, and it was denied. Take a guess why? Because they didn't have anyone to replace me. So in January... In 2016, my wife and I found out that we were going to have our next baby. Yep. And we were super excited about it. Lo and behold, um, you know, we do the whole announcement thing and things look fantastic. But at uh, 10 weeks, we ended up losing that child. And that was probably one of the hardest experiences of my life. Um, and I definitely know it was obviously even more extreme, you know, bigger of a problem for my for my wife you know being through that physically and everything uh that was tough so i put in for yet another transfer and that didn't work so that my my wife would be able to be with her family and as a matter of fact i didn't even get the day off that my wife went to go have you know the surgical removal of our of our unborn baby and it just it was destructive it was absolutely destructive it was it destroyed all of the love and joy that you are supposed to experience um, in, in life. <laughs> that wasn't enough, by the way. I didn't quit then. That wasn't enough. I quit because they promoted me. Uh, you know, you're probably well, saying. And, and now what you're supposed what? to want, right? That's what you're supposed to want, right? Right. You would think. Well, they promoted me to a project manager three. They put those three little numerals at the end, you know, one, two, three. Yeah, it's big three. company stuff. Yeah. The, the three capital I's, people. Okay. Yeah. This was a big deal. The three yeah. capital I's. Um, so what ends up happening? Well, I find out that they moved me from the hourly scale to the salary scale. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was the lead project manager working anywhere from 10 to 12 hours a day at time and a half. And even with a 25% raise, right? Yep. This is a six, this is a six figure salary, by the way, right? So even with a 25% raise, it came out to be 25% less after everything was said and done. 
And I said, so not only do they not want me to, do they not care about me? They, they obviously have put me through the ringer, but now I'm not even, now they've given me a paid deduction, even though they've yep. given me a new promotion. Yeah. They and sold, I, sold it to you as a promotion. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. They been did. There, been there before. Yeah. I just, I had never experienced anything like that in my life. I was, I was humiliated. But Jeff, when I got, you, the, the money is constant. You don't have to worry about it, the up and downs of the hourly. Bingo. <laughs> been, been in those meetings before, yeah. Bingo. So, sorry about that. And so lo and behold, finally, I got my first paycheck and I saw that it was 25% less. <laughs> and that's what finally did it. It wasn't anything of, of all the stupid things that they did to me and destroyed me and made me feel like I was absolutely worthless that wasn't enough it's actually embarrassing you know that it's actually really embarrassing to look back on and say why didn't i leave sooner Um, It it might be embarrassing but it's it's an important story because there's a lot of people that are you know they're they're walking on that you know uh diving board and and they have to walk all the way to the little edge where half their feet are over before they jump off right so why don't we then continue the story, right? So then, then what happened? Like, and by the way, like, you know, you, you already have one kid, so you're, you know, money is important. Yeah. Which is always the hard reason to leave. Right. Well, the, the irony is when I finally, you know, did, you know, and I, of course I talked it over with my wife and really thought about, man, this is, this is a really big decision. Is this really what I want to do? You know, um, it just seemed like, so crazy you know i had a dream job uh everything that i that i did in life was for this moment (laughs) you know like i've i've got the perfect career for me and uh what was really crazy was that moment of realization when when the paycheck came in and i i talked to my wife i prayed about it i i just thought in my head what the heck am i going to do with myself like is this even worth doing what i'm doing should i leave And at the time I had started doing my own little projects. I've always been a side hustle guy. You know, I've always had a side hustle and uh, I've always been proud of my side hustles, by the way. You know, I, I remember doing like, while I've, while I've always had a full-time job, you know, I did a little side hustle to build websites, you know, and it was really, really something that I enjoyed doing. I built websites for, you know, local clients and stuff like that, just to have fun. And one guy was a, uh, a plastic surgeon and I redid his website and you know I thought well shoot I can build these virtual teams to do all this other crazy stuff I can I can do anything right like what else can I outsource right so I started building this little team on the side thank god looking back thank god that I did um and pretty much that's that's what happened I started building little projects on the side finding out that I could do cool things and you know I wasn't really in it for the money it was just kind of a hobby but at that time, when I was still working for Philips, uh, I had actually amassed a team of probably 10 or so, quote unquote, virtual assistants to do random projects for me uh, on the side. But it never made me money. So basically, at that point in time, I said, well, if I'm going to buckle up and I'm going to leave and do my own thing, then I have to really quickly figure out how to turn this into a profitable business that at least makes six figures. And of right, course... Right talking into my own logical mind as a project manager. So uh, for those of you who don't know the life of a project manager, the life of a project manager is very simple. It's called risk mitigation. That's your job. 
your job is risk mitigation. How to get rid of risk is in situation. Well, there was no way out of this, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so literally what ended up happening was uh, my, my wife and I just had that discussion and she said, it's, it's time. You're miserable. You know, you're miserable. No, you know, you don't, nobody respects you. Uh, uh, so I, I gave them, I gave them what they wanted. You know, they had no one to replace me, you know? So, sure. So yeah. how do you, how did you scale up the, uh, the side, the side hustle? Oh, that's the fun part. So, um, I actually did something absolutely bonkers. I took my wife and my three-year-old kid at that time. And we went to the Philippines. We went to the Philippines and literally just tried to make it work. You know, I, I was just on a mission there. I hired a consultant. Her name was Ria. She was in the Philippines because I had no idea how to get results myself. Um, I never, I never even had a profitable business. It was just for fun. You know, I'd make a couple hundred bucks here and there. So when that and, happened and, and why the Philippines, by the way, you know, that was the, that was the interesting story is that when I was first figuring all this stuff out, I had, I had gone and I don't know if you ever heard of this guy, we became friends, believe it or not. Um, but there's a website called outsourcing to the Philippines.com, something like that. And this was years ago, man. This is probably 10 years ago. His name's Chris Ducker and he's from the UK, but he lived yeah. in Cebu. Have you heard of him? Yeah. Yeah. Just a podcast or something or other. Yeah. 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 And he, he's behind something called Youpreneur now is his thing. And uh, I just remember reading some of the stuff that, that he had online because as a project manager, whenever I hire someone, they're, they're one word to me, resource. They're just a resource, you know? And not that I'm saying they're just a resource, but like I hire people because I need them to do something, a resource, mm -hmm. right? And that's how we should all be thinking, by the way. Um, and so when I, I, the very first thing that bothered the heck out of me as a project manager was Gantt charts. Gantt charts were the end of me. I hated it. Like a, that's like a 1940s military deal. Yeah, Dude, those, if you those, don't. Those should be, those should be, those have been proven ineffective, by the way, too. If you, if you, if, and never accurate. So <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about right now, go to Google, top, type in Gantt, G-A-N-N-T, Gantt charters, a G-A-N-T-T, -T, one or the I, other. I don't one or the other, yeah, it doesn't matter. Just, just say Siri or Google and then say the name Gantt chart, chart. and I, you'll see. I, and then whatever you, whatever you see, just try to forget it because you don't want to, you don't want to learn any of that stuff. Don't let that be something that you think is good. Now, I had a project management role that required that I make Gantt charts for all my projects, no matter how big or how small. And uh, they were probably 60% of the time consumed on a project from a project management perspective, which is ironic because a project manager, like if you break down what that means, it means manage projects, right? So I had less time to manage projects because I was doing documentation. So I would actually, so I found a guy on Fiverr back when Fiverr was five bucks. And uh, he literally, uh, it was a guy and I think he was from Pakistan. And uh, it was really amazing. He was so good, but his communication skills sucked. And he called himself a project management virtual assistant. I didn't even know what a virtual assistant was back then. Like I said, everyone was a resource. So I just started Googling the, you know, the inquiring mind. And uh, once I figured out what a virtual assistant was, it changed my life, man. And uh, 
I started figuring out everything else I could delegate. I, I worked really hard to get an ink article taken down about me because I got in trouble at work for it about how I outsourced my job. And, uh, ironically, now that I'm an entrepreneur, I wish, it, I wish it was still up there. Yeah, completely. I was going to say that's, <laughs> it's like, I don't even care what you say about me. Just spell my name, right? Yeah. So luckily, I mean, I've had a couple of features and other you know, articles and magazines and stuff like that. Since then, I just was on Entrepreneur Weekly last last week. Uh, uh, you know, it's just it's crazy to think of where I'm at now. And you know, here if you're out there, if you're a if you're a freelancer or if you're in a corporate job right now and you're thinking about making the leap, I just want to tell you one thing. Like for me, looking back, I just want to tell you that there's nothing wrong with having a job. There's nothing wrong with it. And there's a lot of people out there that are giving horrible advice and telling people to take the leap without a safety net. The safety net is so important because at the end of the day, especially if you have kids, dude, you got to pay the bills, man. And let me tell you a little bit about the entrepreneur suicide rate. It's high. There's a reason why. It's very stressful when you're the only person responsible for that bill getting paid every month. It's hard. And let me tell you, it was hard for me. I remember in August of 2016 looking over the ledge and I recently bought condo it's a lease in in makati city in the philippines six stories up and just looking over and saying damn is it even worth it i i think it's important takeaway there is you were doing a side hustle so you were already testing the marketplace so very similar stories i have in parallel to you as corporate job and i i i was lucky because i did start some businesses early on and then then i really wanted to go kind of the corporate route somewhat because i just wanted more fuel to the to the to to what I was doing and, and that ended up not working out as, as well. But the whole time I was doing side hustle, I was doing similar things, websites all the time. People were at, they were, they were at, I was lucky it was photography, video and websites and, and people that, you know, social media was early on. So I would just post about some stuff and then people were like, Oh, talk to Darren. He knows how to do that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think you had some, some knowledge, maybe not complete picture of, how to make some money, some revenue, and how to sell it a little bit, a little bit. Maybe not, not maybe not a full plan, but a little plan. You, you want to hear a humbling moment for me? I was so desperate to make money when I first started that one of my first gigs was selling my own time on Fiverr to help manage people's Twitter accounts for five dollars. Okay, I was paying myself. I went from. A 35, whatever, I don't even know what the hourly rate is, right? For a six figure guy, down to a $5 an hour guy doing your social media on Fiverr. Okay. Like I was so distraught when I first started. And uh, it's so interesting because I had no idea how to price myself. Right. I think we all struggle with our own self value. We're given value assigned to us from, from birth, how much we're worth. You know, some people give value assigned to them before birth. You know, some aren't even born. They've been told that they're not valuable before they even had a chance to breathe. And uh, uh, yeah, my wife has a great little takeaway on that one is it take your well, what I always say is your first price in your head, just whatever that is, double it. Like, yeah. And you'll be scared. You ha- if you're not scared to sell a certain dollar amount, you're probably wrong. And then my wife always <laughs> says, before you ever pitch a price, Tell your significant other 
first, that price. And then the, she'll, the, they'll tell you, they'll tell you what you should be selling it for. Don't just go out and pitch a price without, without like clearing it through them first. Cause they'll be like, uh, uh-uh, uh, you're not doing all that for that. Or, uh, you know, people always say your biggest skeptic is herself. I said, no, you haven't, no, you haven't, mar- you haven't been married you, yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not married yet. Yeah. No, trust me. But that's it, man. For me, I mean, I started out with a $5 gig and then <sighs> I, I worked, I worked myself up and, uh, and then I finally was able to find a couple of VAs that were reliable back to that thing that were reliable because it's really hard as a man of service. Now I have over 80 people on my team, you know, I think we just hired five more people today. So probably close up to 90 people on my team right now. And funny enough, I'd say probably half of our clients are usually people that have day jobs and they're like doing a side hustle, but they can't dedicate enough time to it. So they hire a VA to help them kind of run their side hustle. <laughs> right. That's great. So and there's a lot of, there's people that and I'm not going to say names, but I got people that work at Microsoft and Google and, you know, even like, uh, 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 lending companies and like tech startups and stuff. And they all kind of have side hustles. I think we live in a gig economy. Well, I think it's fun, you know, and you can, I'm not so sure that we're supposed to do the exact same thing every day all the time. I think it's kind of fun to do a lot of different things. Now, depending on your personality trait, you might lean to wanting consistency more than others. I don't lean that way. I like it. I like it changing all the time. Now, I do want to go, touch on a couple of things in that journey. So, you know, five dollars to you know almost ninety different people that are under that are working for you. You know, tell us tell us a little bit more about that road. Like, how did you get a couple of the, you, you know, maybe a couple of key clients or how did you figure out some pricing, you know, whatever kind of some value you can bring. In you ready area. for this? When I first started hiring people in the Philippines, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I just read that thing from out online. Uh, it was actually online jobs that PH didn't even exist. It was just outsourced to the Philippines. It was like Elance and Odesk and Fiverr. So that's all I had as a reference. So I was thinking, well, most people are paying three to five dollars an hour how am i going to charge more right so i started out just saying okay well what if i had a what if i had a virtual team but like i managed them because i'm a project manager like what if Mm -hmm. i did that and added that as a value and then i just raised my prices to say seven dollars an hour right well that's what i did for a while and trust me when i say i worked my ass off man that was the hardest job i ever had (laughs) trying to manage all these people and there was this epiphany moment for me when I realized it wasn't about the hourly rate. It was the value that I was able to provide to someone else. That was the thing. And I actually, since 2016, I had, I had doubled my prices every November, every year. And as a matter of fact, with COVID-19 that just happened, I actually reduced my prices a little bit. Because what I did, well, I, I raised and lowered, and I'll tell you why. What I did was I repackaged it up to entrepreneurs that normally wouldn't be able to afford us because we had basically a $750 to a $1,500 retainer on normal, like for an entry level. But I made a new entry level product for $298 to use my team for 20 hours a month, which is basically an hour a day. And I want to give full credit to Jake Cortez and, uh, and his partner, Pat, who came up with this idea because they said, you don't have like a get your feet wet offer, you know? And I was like, oh, you know, I don't. It was either put, put the, you know, open up the fire hose or not. 
And when I did that, what was crazy was that changed everything because now I was able to get people in for a very minimal investment and them try it out. See what it's like having a VA at about a $14.90 an hour mark. If you're listening to this in 2020 (laughs) and, and, and see, they got their feet wet and most of them, 60% have upgraded to a bigger package after the first 30 days. Very cool. So that's, that's the thing. So the journey guys is that you have to start somewhere. Okay. You have to start somewhere. You have to validate your idea. And the worst thing that you could ever do is jump into something without validating your idea. Right. And validating it. The best way to validate an idea guys is to take somebody's money. Right. If you, if you can't take somebody's money, then your idea is not validated. So then how, how did you come up with, uh, how did you learn to sell on value? I've heard, you know, we all heard it say, you know, Tony, Tony Robbins or somebody says it all the time, but it never seems to click until it actually clicks. So was there a moment or a time or did it just, you know, any story there? So funny enough, my very first year, I left my quote unquote corporate business making a little less than $150,000 a year. And I left in February. Get ready for this. Guess when? Oh, guess when I turned in my letter of resignation? February 29th of 2016, leap day. Okay. And it wasn't planned. It wasn't until afterwards I said, holy crap, that was leap day. It took the leap, you know? That's great. And so technically, I've just had my first anniversary this year, right? Um, But what's really interesting is that, you know, for me, that first year, I made. $250,000. $250,000. Now, that's gross. Yeah. I was and I, I, <laughs> I found out what that's like as an entrepreneur. I probably kept 50 grand in 2016. That's, sounds pretty. Yeah. I made 150 to make 50. And as the saying goes, worked 80 hours a week for myself to avoid working 40 hours for more money for someone else. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But the journey kind of went like this. You know, I validated the idea. I found out what it would be. I found out what it was worth to other people by validating different pricing. Uh, and then I, I hit a fork in the road in August of 2018 when I realized that I wasn't, I was still selling hours. So instead of trying to sell something that wasn't hourly to my existing client base, because they're going to be like, well, it's cheaper if I just pay by the hour because it is. I said, I'm going to create a whole damn new company. And I did. Here's the, here's the hook, line, and sinker. It's the same people. Okay? But the difference is I'm selling a result. I'm not selling an hour. So I'm selling a result. So, for example, if I'm going to sell a brand guide or if I'm going to sell a funnel, right? Or if I'm going to sell, like tomorrow I have a call with a client. He's a top 20 podcaster. And he wants me to help him make what's called a subscribe wall. So when you go to his website, you have to subscribe to get access to the website, right? And I was able to say, okay, I know that that probably is going to cost you. And Mike, if you're listening, this is just the truth of business and you freaking know it anyway. It's probably going to take my team 25 hours to do it, right? Now at $14 an hour, let me get my calculator out here, okay? Let's say it's uh, $14.90 an hour and we times that by 25 hours. That's $372. But I sold the result. I sold the package, right? I sold yeah, it to him. 
for fifteen hundred bucks. I don't right? want to. I don't want to track. I don't want you to. I don't want to even want to know if you're because the hourly is weird too. Because you, some people are, you just log at eight hours, even if you didn't do eight hours. Yeah. Like, as a business owner and as just even a consumer of stuff, I I just want the test done. Like. Boom. It does it. Is it in my budget? Do I think I can afford it? Can I get a return on this investment? Those are the thoughts that go through the consumer's mind, the end user's mind, the business owner's mind. It's I don't even want to think about, well, is 14 hours sound right? You know, like, I don't, I don't know. What, what if it turns out to be 62 hours, right? That's what <laughs> I, I start. Well, I actually start worrying about that, right? Yeah. As I, well, I don't really, you know, I'd rather just know a flat rate dollar amount. Right. And I've gone through a lot of that as well. So we, we, I've done the hourly consultant, see, and I still have like one client, maybe two on that. Just they, they, they've been around with me since the beginning. So kind of like, you know, it is what it is. But um, what I also found out was it was getting kind of annoying to figure. So let's say I just needed a specific programmer for two hours. Like, well, I didn't have a rate card for that, for that like level of programmer. Well, I, did, I didn't want to have to have this big rate card. I just, so what we, what we did is we just, I just kind of estimated the amount of work needed, came up with kind of an idea. Sometimes we work way harder and sometimes less and just said, here's the monthly fee. Like it's just the and we do actually the same, it's same amount every month. And what, what that does is it gives me freedom and my team freedom to say, uh, yes, just do it. Just do it. Just, yes. Great. Let's do it. And then, uh, come up with plan. You know, if we need to have a photographer that week great. Uh, if you need, you know, some, you know, anything that, that moves the cogs forward to get the client more business, you know, to, to increase their brand or sales or leads or whatever it is, we have the budget to do it. You know, obviously you don't have unlimited budget, but you have some, some goalposts to play inside of. Right. And see, and that's the meat and potatoes because see already with that project with Mike, like I was starting to talk about, is like now I've brought in my copywriter, right? Now I've brought in my web developer and then I brought in my graphic design team, right? So now, and if, by the way, just so you know, I'm not just, just in the Philippines. I've got team members all over the world. I've got nine people that are copywriters here in America, right? And what I do is, like I said earlier about my 90-10 rule, I just want people to do, not just my clients, but also my team. I want my team to focus on what they do best, right? And if it's not something that they wake up every day excited to do, like I'm excited to, I wake up every day. I can't, you know, it's funny. I had an offer. Someone tried to buy my business last year and it was a nice offer. Okay. And I didn't sell. And the reason why is because I was thinking in my head, I said, what would I I do every day? And not just that, like, how could I ever find a job or, or create a business as good as this that I actually enjoy every day? Like, I was like, hell no. And I'm so glad that I didn't too, because, you know, my business has been growing phenomenally. And, you know, I, I, I would feel bad if somebody bought my business and they're not able to have the success that I had. <laughs> right. Know? Sure. Like, gen- <laughs> like genuinely, you know, like I've seen the nightmares and you probably see it too, where somebody takes over a business and it runs to hell, you know? Oh yeah. It was a part, a part of, uh, yeah, I, I worked for a medium sized company that, uh, we did, we were doing so well too. And that's kind of my, um, I grew that online store to over a million dollars a month was just, I um, was just like, man, we're going to go to like five. We're, I mean, we're just going to, and they just, uh, the company that purchased us just, they actually shut down the store about a, two years ago, ran into the ground. Wow. Like, and and, and uh, I was just, there was so much 
so much further it could gone too. But um, that that happens. That's um, a shame. And it is. And I it think, is a shame. And, and to your point too about the retainer, I mean, that's the only way to truly scale. You know, because that for me at the end of the day, and hopefully everyone listening in here, if there's actually if there's one freaking piece of advice I'd give myself back when I was starting and trying to figure out what the price and all that kind of stuff, I would have just given myself a lesson on what LTV is, lifetime value, right? Lifetime value of your client, lifetime value of your customer is so important. Like for me, if you lose a client, you know, like for me, like I, of course I hate losing clients, but the fact that I've got a hundred plus clients all paying me a monthly retainer. If one leaves, it doesn't hurt. You know, like it makes me feel bad because I take my business personally. Like I, I want every single, like even today I had, I refunded and just canceled out an account today. Right. And she's awesome. As a matter of fact, she told me, she says, I don't want to do this. I don't even know if I want a refund from you. I love you. You're awesome. It's just that one of the things that we wanted to do for her just wasn't going to work out. We both knew wasn't going to work out. She, you know, she's too early in her business. So she doesn't have the right, you know, direction. And, and my team wasn't helping her out in that aspect. And I said, it's just not going to work. But back then I, I was just doing hourly stuff. So I was just always chasing clients. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, and even, even, even on projects, like one-time projects, they suck because once you're done, you're, you're finding another project. And this is the problem in the coaching consulting world too. Co coaches, consultants have a three, six, maybe a year long contract. Then they got to find new clients. That sucks. And the thing about the even the small, especially the one-off projects, the the problem we, what I found was we were just finally figured out your client, the client, and jiving, and then the project's over. Well, it took you so long to kind of get this rapport going. Another thing on the lifetime value, you were making some um, some pitches as the business owner, but I also think as a business owner as well. Um, I like to look at it, even though like a lot of our contracts are month to month, pretty much all of them is I do look at it as a year, 14 months stint. And, and that is the reason what I was saying before, sometimes we, we do way too much and way too little. Like I like to look at it like we're along this path with you partners. I'm gonna, yeah. We're partners. We're going to be here for a year, you know, a year from now. Like, so it's going to work. We're going to make sure this works out the whole time, not just for this one little project, fix, fix a patch in the hole. You know, I want, so then when we, when we talk, we start, if you start the conversation and that, and, and with that thought process, you're not going to sit there and take somebody's money when their foundation's broken. Like if their e-commerce store is quite broken and they wanted you to do all this marketing and ads, I'm like, well, we're just going to lose them. Like the mm -hmm. conversion rate's not going to work out. We've got to fix the whole user flow first, which, you know, it's just a different way of looking that at the uh, lifetime value of a customer in the partnership, like you would call it, uh, yeah. which is a great way. Um, what about just some uh, other kind of, uh, different questions. What's, what's the, like, what's the kind of common myth, whether it's being a business owner or a marketer, I kind of maybe like the marketer common myth, but anything that you can think of that kind of pops out to you? Well, you know, I think something that ties in both of these and previous to what you just said, uh, I had the joy of going down to Jay Shetty's office, icon media and his business partner who, who's become a good friend of mine. Uh, he 
I was mind blown to to discover that the very first hire that they had, and I think they probably got at least maybe you know a dozen, maybe even twenty people by now. I went to his office in L.A. you know last year, and they the very first hire that they made him and Jay Shetty, his name's Alex Kushner by the way. Their first hire was a role that I've never heard of in my life. And it was so transformational for me on how I should treat my clients. Like I was jelly is they hired a partner experience manager. (laughs) And I was like, wow, a partner experience manager, because how many times do we treat people like clients, like customers? And I love what you just said. And I want to just give you the floor back just for a second to acknowledge that what you said about the partner experience, about bringing people in and being a part of their growth, that's why I've been able to retain clients. My average client right now, I think is like 2.7 year tenure. And the company's been around since 2016. So it's probably longer than that. Just the company's been getting a lot of new clients, right? So the crazy, so I just want you guys to think about the myth. Okay, we'll go into myths right around marketing because there's a three-step process that I'm going to say to my give credit to my boy Dennis Yu, one of my friends, partners, clients, um fellow podcaster on my podcast Savage Marketer, which I got to have you on by the way. Let's and, do it. And he I was at Digital Marketer cuz he actually is faculty there long before me for years and I just recently became inducted. And we did a little talk together on stage in front of their they call it lab or something. It's like their digital marketer lab. And it was so funny because people overcomplicate things, right? Especially marketing. Good God. You want to talk about overcomplicating things. That's what salespeople hate about marketers. Okay. And that's why sales and marketing never, they always have conflict always because they have different trains of thought. Sales is about closing deals. Marketing is about, Ooh, customer experience, brand experience, you know, email automations, oh, the funnel, you know, the follow-up sequence, the LTV, you know, sales care, care about one thing, market qualified leads and sales. <laughs> that's it. Really? That's it. So, uh, and sales qualified leads, but sometimes those are, those are the same. But what's really interesting is that uh, what I've found, at least, is that from a marketing perspective, the simpler you can make it. Dennis showed me this three little three-step process of how to sell anything or how to market anything. The first step, right, is make an awesome product. And most people don't make an awesome product. It sucks, right? And I'll even take it a step back further, right? You can validate it even before you create the product by actually selling it and saying, hey, guys, I'm thinking about making this. Or, hey, look, I'm, I'm going to start a new service offering Facebook ads for 1500 bucks a month or whatever. And I'm going to do this and that and this and that. Who's interested, you know? And then once you have interest in a product, you create an awesome product or service. Just make it freaking awesome and focus on that product and just make it shiny and beautiful and sweet. You know, don't don't take your turd and put a little bow on it. It's still going to smell like crap. Right. And then so that's the first step is creating an awesome product. Right. A validated product. And the second piece is get good results. You get good results with your product and then you actually document the results that you get with your clients. And so many people are afraid to document those and ask for the testimonial, ask for the case study, right? And say, how do we do? Oh, I'd love to talk about it. I was on a call today with one of my clients, Convoso.com, doing something that most marketers don't do. A review of the campaign. 
We did a, uh, yeah. a review of the campaign. It's been a month now, May 19th. Uh, we launched the campaign for Convoso. It's a re-engagement to their 15, 20,000 email list that they never email, right? And we, we went over and found out how many people are opening it, how many people are clicking through. We found out that in a one-month period, we were able to reactivate 13, 13 of stale list in a month. 13 scheduled demos. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, right? it's fantastic. And these I, are I, these are like, and by the way, these are like five, six-figure deals for them, right? So imagine, right? And talk about the value as a marketer. There's a misconception again. The marketer of saying, hey, well, was it worth the 10000 or 5000 or whatever it is for an email campaign to make you all these deals, right? And so you create an awesome product. That's step one. Number two is you get awesome results. And step three, you use awesome results to market said product. And that's it. Three-step process. Make an awesome product, get good results, use results to sell awesome product. But what if I'm scared to ask for the, the results, the reviews? Well, you, it, do that it, in the, you do that in the beginning. You set the expectation in the beginning. Here's what everyone does wrong and, and why I believe I've been able to be successful at it is that in the very beginning of the process, I say, hey, look, Dan, I just want to tell you, like this, I'm really excited to do this project with you. Um, this, is, this is really incredible. And I really see you as a lighthouse, right? You can really be a pillar in this industry that I'm trying to tap into because you are such a role model. And when we knock this out of the park for you, People are going to be asking, who did this for you? And uh, what I'd like to do, if you're okay with it, I always ask for the okay, right? Because I said, if, if you know, after we get you some solid results, I'd love to put up a little case study of what we're able to accomplish together. And of course, only if we get out of the park results, right? Because then they're going to feel like a jerk if they say no. <laughs> no, that you're basically saying that you're very confident you're getting them results. Yeah, that yeah. you're going to because you 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 actually want to write about them and you and all the good stuff you guys did together. Like yeah. you're saying that up front. That's a very interesting part. Uh, you know, and I've helped some clients like literally just write. I like we've we've written a couple emails, form emails for them to sit there and say, okay, send these to clients. We because we need reviews. You you know you need that social proof up there. But I like the thought of let's do it up front. Get out. It's similar to money. I'm a big fan with money. Do it up front. Get it out of the way so we can start doing the real stuff, right? Yeah. Be done with it. Move on. I also like that with the testimonials. Get it up front and then it's and then move out of the way. And then you have to obviously re-ask, but so much easier since you've already opened the door. You, you just you just grazed over a very important factor that a lot of people need to hear, which is what you just said. Put the money up front, guys. First off, why the hell would you want to waste your time with someone who's not going to pay, right? You're going to sit there on a call with someone for an hour, hour and a half, and talk about all the things you could do for them and give them a strategy less session for free, basically, if they first identify that they can't. You know who's a genius at that? You ever heard of Billy Jean? Yeah, yeah. The market, Billy, yeah he's, great, he's got some great videos, too. This guy charges $100 for a sales call. Like... He's literally says, okay, this is for real. If you really want to move forward with us, here's, here's the booking link to schedule. And there's a hundred dollar area that's a non-refundable so that 
you are serious on getting on a sales call. Now, I'm not that cocky. Yeah, that's next level. <laughs> that, that's next it. level. But that's damn. I mean, you, then you know for a fact that they have one. And of course, that deposit for the call is, is deducted from whatever you do with them. Right? Where you spend it. Yeah. Yeah. But still, like, you know, that those people come there for one reason. They want to hire you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so, that's using marketing to flip it to where people come to you. And he's he's not he, he's got the leverage there because of uh, of the great marketing job he does on social media. So um, what about and then just switching to kind of a couple more, I guess, personal questions you could call them, but like any mentors or books or anything across that or even could be even online sessions or, or whatever that you've taken over across the, that has helped you along your journey? You know what? I want to give a shout out to my boy, Jim Edwards and uh, Jim Edwards. He's actually the copywriter behind Russell Brunson. Oh, wow. Um, Click funnels guy. And uh, he has a new book uh, called uh, actually, I haven't even got mine yet because I told him I want to sign copy. So I'm bugging him for a signature. I'm not going to just order one on Amazon. So uh, I have I have a whole bookshelf over here of books of people that have either been on my show or I've worked with, or I've paid them money or whatever, just people like for me, it's not just one thing to write a book. It's not one thing to read a book. It's not one thing to sign up for somebody's course. Like if somebody is a mentor of mine, I actually go out and I have a very strategic, intentional relationship building strategy. Um, it's literally called my five pillars of expertise. I have five pillars of my own expertise, branding, marketing, uh, oh, and, and obviously doggies. I want you to go back over those. Hey, hey, honey. For people to believe what I can do for them, what I call the core promise, right? What's our brand promise? What is it that we say we can do for someone? What are the five areas of expertise that I have to be good at to reinforce my promise, right? So for me, it's branding, social media, copywriting, inbound marketing, and virtual teams. That's my five things right there. You know, I've rehearsed this a few times. It's my, it's my thing, you know? And everyone, it's amazing to to know it, this is what's mind-boggling to me people don't actually have their own like mission statement their own core promise like if you can walk into a room and immediately tell somebody and say you know what darren i build personal brands for founders and ceos usually of tech companies that are really ready to leverage their achievements to become influencers in their space like that's solid. It's oh, okay. I get it. I know exactly what you do. All right. Or, or say, Hey, look, I, I help, I help small businesses and, and tech founders create agile virtual teams to help scale. It, it's easy. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I have, then I have my expertises that back that up and all my content strategy is based on these expertise. So each one of my pillars of expertise has two people go to people in those industry. So Jim Edwards is one of the people under my copywriting column. He's, he's amazing. And by the way, check him out. He's awesome. He's, he's also got a, uh, he should be paying me for this, but he's, he's also got a, a book. Uh, it's called Copywriting Secrets. How about that? So those are really things that I really enjoy. I actually came out with a course myself called Social Copy Secrets because that was something I felt was really missing is uh, there's really not a lot of people teaching how to get attention on social media. It's something that I've been really uh, able to do on on the organic side. I'm not Trump level, you know, like that guy. He, you know, he, either you love him or hate him. His marketing team is genius. 
<laughs> so, so yeah, it, he actually is. And not to, not to get off that subject. I actually have his book. Which book? The, the, oh, you the have it too? I was like, that, I was like, I guarantee you I have that book. When you said that title, I, I real quick went to my other monitor and did a quick search. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to, Gonna ask if you could connect us after this show. Oh, absolutely! Love, love, love to get him on. Love to talk to him. No, I, I've uh, it was uh, it was a bathroom book for a while, for probably mm-hmm. uh, for a little bit. So, have uh, you read Expert awesome. Secrets by Russell Brunson? I have not. There's the other one I was gonna say, and it's okay. funny because here I am in Russell Brunson camp. But the the reason why, guys, is because these are not your foundational marketing and branding principles books. These are not your business books. These are what you need to learn how to actually differentiate yourself as a human in the Mm. marketplace. And see, that's what's missing. I think that we've come into an era now where there's an app for everything. And if we could be more personalized and human, you're going to get farther. And the best way to grow your brand, your business, whatever the hell you're working on, is to actually create more human interaction. That's why I'm on the show with you. Because I want to humanize myself to, to your audience and to grow and expand my audience. And we have a mutual understanding that I'm going to be promoting your show. And you're obviously going to be promoting me on your show. It's a win-win. That's why I love podcasting. Plus, it's also great to meet new people and get, you know, how often can you get an hour, hour and a half conversations, and, you know, for and, and kind of actually dive deep into some sub- subjects, which, which was like my, one of my favorite things anyway. I do want to back up a little bit because you said that a bunch of cool things in there. I've had a lot of people that I've helped with their like resumes, try to get a new job. And really, my first question is, you know, what, what do you want to do? What is it that you do well? And, you know, start getting on that where you really need to be very clear and concise of what you do and who you are and how you do things. And that is so lost that like people, when they're doing their resumes, they're like talking about formatting and, you know, making sure they have all these bullet points. I'm like, what's the narrative? What's your story? You know what, what, (laughs) you know, and then, so I think it's so important to understand yourself. And even if it's not the stuff that, you, let's say you want to pivot and do it a different direction, but at least understand who you used to be and what your past actually means. Um, and, I, and I think if you don't do that, it's going to be really hard to articulate that if you want to move up a few levels. What's going wow. to happen is maybe you'll move up a little half level or something, but uh, this, being able to storytell whether it's 2020, 2050, or 1920, it's always one of the most powerful ways to connect with others, right? Um, So I I, kind of want to go off that tangent. I was literally just helping somebody with a resume just the other day. And um, I'm just like, the story isn't, I'm lost here. I don't know. I don't know what you do. I don't, you know, I see, I see a bunch of bullets, but I don't get it. So you um, have to have a story and everybody, and it's it's it goes back to like you know I don't know if you were a Boy Scout or anything like that. I, I was, Scout. yeah, yeah. For oh sure. yeah, <laughs> my Me too. two older brothers were Eagle Scouts. Uh, I actually wasn't. I was like so close, but I transferred schools and didn't quite. I was literally everything besides my Eagle Scout project, unfortunately. Well, I, I got my arrow. I I think I stopped at my arrow of light. Whatever sure. that was. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so uh, that. That, I think that was towards the end there, but um, yeah, yeah, middle, but yeah, it's uh, but yeah, but yeah. you were you were in it for a bit though, for sure. Yeah, I was I was in it for a minute. <laughs> um, but anyway, my point is that like we know that one of the coolest things 
uh, about being in some sort of like a, you know, Boy Scout, Girl Scout type of thing is that I think you start realizing at a very young age who the best storytellers are. And they also usually become the most popular kids because everybody wants to hear the story. Like who can tell that scary story? Like, you know, the kid who's like, well, do you remember that the one time uh, I had a dream and uh, and not able to orate and not able to build out a story compared to someone who's like, and there it was <laughs> creeping underneath my bed. I could hear it whispering the words and everyone's like, oh, my God, what's coming? You know? Yeah, no, completely. And then that translates into selling your product, especially when you're online. And one thing I always talk about uh, when you're doing online is sell online very similar to offline. Like if you were selling like this mic, you wouldn't just give me the specs. You would kind of like, oh, when when you talk in this mic, it really captures the lows. You could, you know, if you have a deep voice, this is probably the mic that works for you and what's, you know, it's yeah. not, typical. <laughs> exactly. this if one wanna, has this beautiful red, sexy glow. Yeah. Oh my God. If, if you're a gamer, that's the mic you need, right? Uh, or is red <laughs> part of your, your brand, your, your brand package, right? Yeah. That's the mic for you. Uh, but, but again, yeah. And I think a lot of people, they forget about the story because people buy stories, you know, they, they, and, and to be honest too, there's like, I don't want to buy anything anymore that doesn't have a cool story attached to it. I want to, if somebody comes over, I want to, I want to talk about this piece for some cool reason. I don't, you know, I don't, you don't need anything anymore. You know, speaking of stories, I've got, I think I have a perfect way to close out this podcast. I have the best story for you and you're going to, you're either going to laugh and think that I'm a boss or you're going to say that's super disrespectful and possibly not air this podcast. Well, let me let me ask the last question. That I ask <laughs> yeah, go, every, okay, good. First. Ask this question first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because I end every well, I don't have to end the podcast, but maybe it will be. Maybe that whatever your story will be edited out. <laughs> Everyone will know. Um, but my last question that I'm going to ask is, how would you like to be remembered? Wow, you know that has been something that's been becoming more clear to me. I still think that. It's a lot easier to explain what I do than where I want to be visualized and what legacy I want to leave. But right now, I feel like, you know, my company's growing and I'm making such a big impact. And, you know, earlier you asked me why the Philippines. Well, there's a few reasons. One of them is because I know how much of an impact I can make there. And, you know, the average person in the Philippines makes $9 a day, and that's in the city. If you live in the provinces outside, it's even lower. And I just know how much even three, five dollars can change a life over there. And, uh, you know, for me to be able to do three, four five, sometimes ten multiplier more, you know, most of the people that work for me in the Philippines make more money than anyone in their family generationally. And that means a lot to me. It's, It's such a huge deal. You know, I get a lot of crap. You know, I, I developed this nickname, the king of outsourcing. And uh, with that has come a lot of flack, as you can imagine, because outsourcing has a negative connotation to it. And uh, I've had a lot of flack, ironically, from American virtual assistants who are trying to compete at 25 to 50 bucks an hour for a VA. And, you know, 1490 an hour is what I charge, right? 
Um, and you can imagine I'm making money on that. So they're obviously getting paid less than that. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it's, I get a lot of flack people saying, oh, you just take advantage of third world countries and cheap labor and exploiting labor and this and that. And you know what the real reason I hire Filipinos for? It's because they're loyal. <laughs> it's because they show up and they do jobs Americans don't want to do, like data scraping and data mining. You know, a lot of what I do as a virtual, as my team of virtual assistants is going into people's social media presences like, like LinkedIn. And that's a great way to transition into the story I was going to tell you. Great. So, so the legacy is about making impact. And I want to be able to create jobs and, and change lives. And through entrepreneurship, I have that outlet to do so. So if I'm remembered and said, dude, this guy literally empowered generations of jobs and, and providing and created stable, amazing wealth around the world, not just in America, but obviously around the world, that's enough for me. And that gets me to my disrespectful story. The disrespectful story is that this podcast itself that you and I are on right now was 100% scheduled by my virtual assistant, who right now has one job. Well, I have multiple people that work with me, but one of them whose job is to manage my LinkedIn presence, right? For four hours a day, logs in and finds people that have really badass podcasts, just like yours, and literally connects to them likes and engages with your content, probably wrote a comment on one of your videos, sent you a connection request saying what they liked about it probably, and then sent you a message with an offer saying, hey, you know what? If it's valuable to your audience, maybe they'd get a kick out of learning about how to delegate or virtual assistants and things like that. Let me know what you think. And guess what? They're sending that out to about 40, 50 people a day that are top podcasters. And this podcast appearance I'm on right now with you, Bed, is literally the work of that fruit that we were talking about. Is the- so, so I lo- absolutely love it. It's, fan- I, it's fantastic. And to give you some uh, insight on my side of that is, so the message for the podcast, that the, the, the copy and paste message, the second or third one, whatever it is, I saw that on my phone. I was like, what, what's that? And then I look back, I go, oh, he commented on uh, another, my, uh, a, a podcast I had with Moby. And then he sent me a different message that was very nice. And, and, and you know, like, hey, that was really cool. Got some value. I was like, even if this was, because even if this was a, a phishing trying to, I was like, it's great. Like, I'm in because <laughs> you, put, you didn't try to close on the first date. So props to your VA because I even looked back and was like, okay, so how do we, How'd this happen? I was like, oh, you know what? They didn't just come at me full steam ahead trying to close like right away, you know? And I was like, I, I love it. And then I checked you out too, by the way. So, at the, and then I was like, okay, well, yeah, he's, you know, you already have on a podcast, you've been on TV, you've been, you know, featured all over the place. I'm like, this, this is a great, and we have somewhat similar stories, which is pretty fun. So yeah. I, I was like, I'm in. Uh, I love it because and, and, and by I the way, a, I have a tough sniff test. I have a tough sniff <laughs> test, and it, well, it passed. I'm I'm honored that my VA was able to sniff through your sniff test because you know, and and the funny part is, is that like I'm obviously very careful about where I'm at too, right? Because there's this some you know, I'll just say sometimes my VA's got it wrong. <laughs> a couple of podcasts where they're like, "Yeah, I want to have you on or whatever," and I'm like, 
oh, okay, well, you know, I'm really busy. Uh, so let me, let me message you back in 30 days, you know, and, you know, but, um, and look, and that's one of the, there's a great, and by the way, I did research on you too. And of course, when I saw that you were in person, I, I was genuine. I responded back and I said, Hey, and here's, and here's where people use VAs the wrong way or assistance in general, whether it's in the Philippines or America or wherever, is that they should be able to help us foster and grow and build relationships. But at the end of the day, it's really about me and you. Like we are connected now. We have a built a relationship built on trust. I have now given you my deepest, darkest secret about you and I and how our relationship started, right? Like who else can you say in your network has connected with you and built a relationship and that I literally did Google research about an hour before our call. When I, That message, by the way, on uh, LinkedIn, that was when I started going, oh, my God, I'm about to get on this podcast. Who is this guy? Right? <laughs> I love it. And I that's, was like. So that's so smooth, though. That, that, that's great. It, but see, you know, I think that not to go over time here, but it wasn't spammy. And that's also the deal is people get and then, not even VAs. They try too hard, too fast right away. And then two, they get a little spammy, like, you know, not doing, not sitting there and say, I'm going to let this simmer for a week or two. Like, let's give it and come back to it. Right. Yeah. And that way it doesn't seem like it was just a bot or, or somebody else that's out there. But, and you know what, I'm going to have to join you in person and we're going to go over how to actually build relationships virtually. Like that should be a whole show for itself because that is what's wrong. And I said it earlier about everyone's using an app and an automation for everything. And I'm anti-app. Now, don't get me wrong. I like automation. Okay. So I, my, because obviously if my team is able to automate some of their stuff, it saves them time to do things that they're better suited for too. Right. But at the end of the day, when it comes to people, in a in a day and age where everything is automated, it's never been more important than now to be human. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I love it. That's a great way to end the podcast. Well, Jeff, it was a big pleasure of mine to have you on the Establishing Your Empire podcast. Um, it was it was great. And let's, have, let's stay connected. And uh, whether it's you responding to me or somebody else, <laughs> I'll still I'll still read it. So truth be told for everyone out there, OK, who might think I'm an evil man right now. I have my team. And here's the analogy. I, I put my team out on the boat. And they're going to go out fishing, right? They're going fishing. And then as soon as they reel one in, it's like, oh, that's on there. Then they hand it off to me, right? And that way it keeps it genuine and authentic because it's what they're doing. They're doing research on you. They're doing research on your podcast. They're doing all that heavy lifting that I don't have time to do, right? They're doing that work for me. Once they vetted it, they said, this guy is worth a relationship. And we know that you'd love to, to connect with him and, and get some value on a show and this and that then they're going to engage with you. And then when you respond back, I come back. Here's my bonus tip for everybody. If you're learning how to do networking on LinkedIn or even on Facebook, is that send them a voice message. Send them a voice message. That way they know it's real, right? It's not a, you can't use a bot to send a, a voice message. Just press the little record button, say, hey, Darren, been loving your podcast. Obviously you're doing some great things. You know, would be such an honor to, to, actually, I wouldn't even say don't even be on your pockets. I'd just be like, man, I love the stuff you're putting out there. You know, great to be connected. Looking forward to to seeing more of it. Boom, done. And then Darren's going to be like, all right, this guy, he appreciates me, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the thing is about a content creator is you're putting yourself out there. You're doing a lot of work. 
you put yourself out there. So we, all content creators eat up feedback, yeah. eat it up. So it, that, that's a good way of doing it. But all right, man, I don't want to go over time here for you because I know you've probably got a bunch of stuff to do and uh, a family to hang out with. So uh, it, was, it was great uh, having you on and um, I'm sure we'll cross some paths here soon. Thank you so much. And when we open back up and the lockdown's over, I'm coming down. Yeah, come on down to Austin, Texas. If not, I'll, I'll come to you're in Cali, right? So I am. I, I'm there often too. So uh, okay, it works. All right, man. All right, cheers. Brother. Cheers.